0: Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church.
1: Today's passage, Mark 14, 32-72. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray.
2: but what you will.
3: Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak.
0: Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him.
3: Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer.
1: Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders
2: now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them the one I kiss is the man arrest him and lead him away under guard going at once to Jesus Judas said rabbi and kissed him the men seized Jesus and arrested him
0: then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his ear Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled.
3: Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind.
0: They took Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire.
3: The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but
2: their statements did not agree. Then then some stood up and gave false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree.
1: Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you?
2: But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked, Are you the
3: Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One?
0: I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven.
3: The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you
2: think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists. They said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him.
1: While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also with the Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway.
0: When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again he denied it.
3: After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time.
2: Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept.
4: Thank you to the four of you who read our passage for today. A sober scene. And for those of you that are just joining us, maybe this is your first Sunday with us or you're online, we've been walking through Mark's gospel. And as we've been walking through it together, we've been asking ourselves several questions. One is, who is Jesus? What does Mark's Gospel show us about who he was, what he said, how he lived? The other part is, based on who he is, what does it mean for us as his followers today to follow him? What is he calling us into? And then what are we inviting other people into? We just read a a pretty big chunk of of this story that really is leading us up to something um, three weeks from now. Three weeks from now is Easter Sunday, and in this story that we're following, it's going to conclude on that Easter Sunday um, with the resurrection of Jesus. And as you just heard, read from our scripture readers, we're in this part of the story where things for Jesus have taken a Pretty significant turn. We saw Jesus betrayed by a kiss. Now, for those of you that are maybe uh, from Western cultures where men don't kiss uh, their friends like that, it was it was like a kiss on the cheek, like they do in France or someplace like that. Um, We see him betrayed by Judas, and we we had seen this in the previous passage. We see him deserted by his friends. We saw this prophesied in the previous passage. We see him on trial. We see him being abused and beaten. So as we read today, I wanna encourage you to do a couple things. Um, One is you may be familiar with this story, but wade into it again. Think about the implications of it. Try and put yourself there in the scene. Number two is I'm gonna share some some themes from this story, but I want you to listen to God this morning. I can't tell you how many times, and I, and I am not offended by this at all, when uh, after a message I have preached, somebody comes up to me and says, you know, while you were, while you were talking, I thought of this other thing, <laughs> not related to, to, the, to what I was preaching or to even maybe always what the story was about, but God wants to speak something to you this morning, for you, we're here together, but God has a specific thing he wants you to hear, so listen for that this morning as well. And so I'm not going to re- reread the passage that we just read, but I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to open them up to Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 72, to reference kind of what we'll be looking at together, and we'll, we'll kind of pop in and out a little bit. And while you're turning there, I just want to pray and ask that the Lord would do what I just suggested, that he would speak to us. So, Father, this morning, uh, all of us come in here in different with different things on our minds, Lord, from NCAA brackets um, to unemployment, from brokenness in our relationships to what we're gonna have for lunch after church. Lord, wherever we are, I pray that we would be able to be fully present in these moments together. That as we revisit your life as it was here on Earth, that we would be able to answer the questions that are burning on our hearts about who you are and what it means to follow you. Lord, that you have a word for us today from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask a question to start, kind of priming the pump here, this idea of faithful God. What would you say are marks of faithfulness in somebody that you know? What are marks of faithfulness in a person? When you think of of somebody in your life who has displayed the attribute of being faithful, what do you think of? Maybe it's somebody who keeps their word. They do what they are, say that they're gonna do. Maybe it's uh, somebody who is the same person no matter what situation they're in, no matter who they're hanging out with, whether they're at church or at the workplace, this person is faithful to who they are no matter the situation. Maybe when you think of faithfulness, you think of a, a person you know who will always show up when needed. You know, when things are difficult, when times are uncertain, faithful people are the ones that we often turn to in our lives. Maybe for you, it's a friend. For me, it was uh, a family member. My dad, one of the most faithful men I've ever known. You know, when, when we were at his memorial service uh, uh, last month, Um, my dad had this this habit of always calling me. Every week he would call me. And and oftentimes he would call me and he would ask about our our family, about his grandkids. He would talk about the weather because he always liked to talk about the weather. Um, He would talk about my message if he listened to the live stream online. My dad was just faithful to call. He was so faithful that when he wouldn't call, I would feel like something was off that week and so I would call him. Hey dad, everything okay? And it was interesting, I thought my dad was only like that because I'm his son. At his memorial service, person after person got to share about my dad. Some of these friends that I didn't even know that well, um, down in California, I'd heard of them but not ever been in their, in their space. And um, It was amazing to me, person after person, as I got up to share stories about my dad's life, said he always would always check in on me with a phone call. And I thought, wait a second. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was just me. I thought I was special because I was his son. And at first I, I was almost a little perturbed by that. Like, wait a second. But then I realized this is who my dad was for every person that he knew, not just me. A, a model of faithfulness. What does a faithful person look like? There's a story I heard that just deeply impacted me of this, of this family They were playing at the, at the lake. You can imagine down by Kulon Park. And uh, kids were playing in the water, and, and one young kid who couldn't swim went to the end of the pier and he fell off into the water and he couldn't swim. He sunk in the water. And then, before anybody could realize it, he was gone and they immediately knew. Parents know these things, right? He's in the water. And so his dad jumps into the water and starts searching around for him and he can't find him and he comes back up for air and he dives back down again and he can't find him and he comes back up for air. One more time he goes down desperate to find his son and then he reaches out towards the pier and he touches the pier and his son is gripping on to the post of the pier. He peels his son off the pier and he pulls him up for air and he's between t- tears and gasps for air, he realizes his son is still alive. And he says, what were you doing? Why were you holding on for the p- to the pier? And he says, I just knew that if I held on, you would come for me. Right, this is a, a picture of faithfulness. This picture of faithfulness is how God is described from Genesis To Revelation, all of scripture describes God as a faithful God. Deuteronomy chapter seven says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the what? Say it with me. Faithful God. Keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So for those that are with God, that, that belong to God, that have put their trust in God, God will never let them go. God always shows up. God will never, never let them go. Last week, Jesus lets his disciples know that this this promise of who God is, that that it's being reframed and reshaped into a, a new promise, a new covenant. And this new covenant that's being offered will be for all people who place their faith in Jesus, in his work. So Jesus makes this promise to his disciples and you you can imagine they're like, cool, like we've been with you for three years, this is what we've been waiting to hear, what is this new covenant gonna look like? Is it gonna involve you taking authority over the Roman Empire? Is it gonna involve you finally overthrowing this oppressive culture that we live in? Is it gonna involve you restoring the nation of Israel to its rightful place? What is this covenant going to look like? Jesus makes this promise. But he makes this promise in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of a promise that he was actually gonna die, and that in fact one of them that he's making this covenant in front of is going to, to betray him. And so right after Jesus makes this promise, things get rough. And so it begins. Jesus' march towards suffering and death begins in a garden full of olive trees. As the scripture readers just read, the Garden of Gethsemane, verse 31, is where this march towards suffering begins. Um, some years ago, my in-laws went to, got, got to go on a trip to Israel, and they actually got to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a real place. Here's a, here's a picture of it. Uh, olive trees can, can actually be as old as Jesus. They can, live, they can exist for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and so Jesus marched towards suffering and death. After the promise of, of a covenant, It begins in a garden, and there's a parallel here with the scene from another garden, the first one, in Genesis. In that one, in that garden, sin is brought into God's good creation by humans. God says, don't do these things, everything else is permissible, we're in relationship, all of your needs are provided for, he's a faithful God, and they disobey him. And so in that garden, sin enters the world through that. But in this garden, this one, God has entered into humanity to break the power of sin, At the end of their time in the garden, Jesus and his disciples, as he continues to go away to prayer, come back and find them sleeping, Jesus says, look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. And so Judas comes with a group of our men to arrest him. And things don't look good, but again, God has a plan to restore would have been broken in the first garden. Unlike Adam and Eve's betrayal of God, Judas' betrayal that would lead to Jesus' arrest wouldn't break relationship with God and humanity. It would actually restore it. It's amazing reversal. We'll get to that more in a minute. One thing I don't wanna skip over in this story is that there are these layers of of human experience that, that I think we can relate to so if you, all, if you tend to read the Bible and hold it at arm's length like it's some uh, ancient holy scripture and, and God, doesn't, God doesn't really you know, work that way anymore and, and God, is, God is always distant anyways and so we approach God's word as being distant, well I want you to wade into the humanity here for just a moment in this story. First we see the humanity of Jesus. What does Jesus say while he's, he's praying in that garden? He says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, this is not Jesus being so depressed that he's thinking about suicide. No, this is not that. This is Jesus feeling the weight of what has happened and is going to happen in such a way that he feels like life is over. And I remember when I was a teenager and all my hormones were flying around and it would just take one thing for me to feel sorrow to the point of death, right? And then my mom would say, hey, that's not a big deal. I'd be like, you're right, it's not. Everything was fine. But this is different. Jesus is feeling the weight of betrayal. He's feeling the weight of what is about to come. And here we see the humanity of Jesus. Now up to this point Jesus is he's prophesied, he's predicted what's going to happen, he's he's healed people, he's made food out of nothing. He's walked on water, he's calmed storms. We have seen the divinity of Jesus, God in the flesh. But in this moment we see the humanity of Jesus. He's tired and he's weary and he's heartbroken. And if you've ever read Jesus as some kind of monotone robot right here, you can stop that. Jesus feels deeply the same things that you and I would feel in that same situation. Now the obvious reason he feels this way is because he knows what he's about to go through. In fact, Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53, written 700 years before this moment, describes what Jesus would go through We sang about it, the son of suffering. Isaiah 52 and 53 capture what is often called the suffering servant, this description of the suffering, the beating, the torture that Jesus would go through. Jesus knew this, but he still felt the weight of it. Let's also not forget that there's some other relational layers here for Jesus. He's got religious leaders that want him dead his disciples, his friends that are about to betray him and leave him. So if you've ever gone through a difficult time, you felt abandoned by your friends, or or maybe you were in a world of trouble, but the only response you got from people when you were in that tough time was, well, you did this to yourself. (laughs) If you've ever felt like that, then you can relate to Jesus in this moment. You did this to yourself, Jesus. If you would have just been quieter, if you wouldn't have talked about Saving people from their sins. If you wouldn't have talked about this new covenant, you could have continued. Nobody would be here for you. Jesus felt the full weight of both his suffering and his abandonment. (laughs) Jesus knows what it's like to be human. Second, we see this layer of humanity in his friends and his disciples. Jesus makes one request to them while he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. What is that request? Stay awake, but they can't do that. Now, okay, let's, let's give them a couple things here, right? It's late. Some of you, it's morning right now and you're already falling asleep. So for them already, right, they're in the garden, it's been a long day, it's cozy there, whatever it would be, I don't know. It's late. But they also, there's another layer for them. They have to be emotionally exhausted as well. They just had a meal for Jesus where Jesus said one of them is going to betray him. The weight of that on them going, who would it be? They all said to Jesus, we're never going to leave you. And Jesus said, yes, you are. And they had to think about that. What, what, (laughs) how is this going to play out? Jesus said he's going to suffer and die. So they were feeling the weight of this. And if you've ever been emotionally exhausted, it's sometimes worse than being physically exhausted. And so they can't stay awake. One of the contrasts we see here between the faithfulness of God and humanity is they are unfaithful. They they can't, they struggle with their own faithfulness. Just do this one thing, stay awake. No, I can't do it. And eventually, they would run away as Jesus said they would. And Peter would deny him as Jesus said he would. One of the key themes in all of scripture, really in all of humanity, is that even though we may at times be faithless, God is always faithful. Always faithful. Here's Jesus. The whole mission of Jesus is to free people from their sin. Mark chapter 2, verse 5. We read it months ago. But Jesus says, this is why I'm here, to free people from their sin." The whole message of Jesus is an invitation to be a, a part of a kingdom that God is going to be bringing, Mark chapter one, very, from the very beginning of the gospel. And then here's his followers. We see one of Jesus' followers betraying him with a kiss, and others would scatter at the first signs of trouble as soon as he was arrested. Jesus couldn't have felt any more alone than he did in that moment as he was being marched away to be put on trial. The best word to describe the guys who had spent the most time with Jesus at that point would be unfaithful. They deserted him. Their words that they had said just a little bit before, to stand with him to death. Well, those are just words. In his greatest time of need, when they should be present, they were gone. Their relational commitment to Jesus, three years with him. It was too thin to matter. Everything that Jesus was in modeling the faithfulness of God, his disciples were not. But would it hold up? After all, Jesus had just prayed and just asked for this cup to be removed, didn't he? He had said, God, if there is any way that you can remove this cup, what does that mean? He knew what he was about to bear, the punishment he was about to endure. God, if there's any way that we, there's another way for humanity to be saved. But what did he say right after that? God doesn't give up, he's a faithful God. He says, not your will but mine. And here's where we have to remember too that Jesus is God in the flesh. So essentially what Jesus is saying is, no matter how I feel in this moment, let's make this happen. Let's do this. Whatever is necessary. So these are these layers of humanity that we see in Jesus and in his followers. And so Jesus is marched away, abandoned by his friends, and as witness after witness comes forward to try and say something about Jesus that will lead to his death, they just can't get their story straight. Let's look at that real briefly together, and starting in verse 61. It says, Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Now, with everyone having bailed on Jesus, this would be the right time to change his mind. Eh, no, I'm not. Let me out. But even when we are faithless, even when he's abandoned, God is still faithful. So he answers, I am and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven the high priest tore his clothes why do we need any more witnesses he asked you have heard the blasphemy what do you think they all condemned him as worthy of death then some began to spit at him they blindfolded him they struck him with their fists and they said prophesy and the guards took him and beat him what they had no idea about at this moment was that Jesus had prophesied this very thing. Jesus knew this was happening. Mark chapter eight. He then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. So here they are mocking him, prophesy. And he's like, I already have. have. Maybe you've heard the term the passion of Christ before. You have heard that or maybe watched the movie 20 years ago now. The word passion in our culture is often used of like romantic love or somebody who's really emotionally engaged about to do something. But the word passion in the relationship to what Christ is going is from the Latin word pati which means to endure or suffer. So from the garden to the cross, we see this definition of passion lived out by Jesus. He endured sickening abuse with one thing in mind. I should say one person in mind. You and me. Okay, more than one person. Jesus was doing all of this because his mission was to deal with the consequences of sin by taking those consequences on Himself. What are the consequences of sin? Sin always leads to two things, like always. Sin always leads to brokenness and to death. I'm sure if we went around the room today and we talked about areas of sin in our lives or others' lives, we would it would be story after story after story of brokenness, broken relationships, broken lives. Sin always leads to brokenness and death. Jesus took the consequences of that. And Jesus would experience something that's directly connected with sin when he went to the cross, death. But Jesus hadn't sinned, so how could somebody who hasn't sinned take on brokenness that is a result of sin? How could he experience death, which is the ultimate end of sin? Well, when Jesus did, when he died, the power of sin would die with him. Nobody had ever been like him before. Nobody ever has since. That's why Jesus came. So that the power of brokenness, the power of sin and death could be eliminated, that there could be a way through them. So Jesus endures this abuse. And this day ends with Peter doing exactly what Jesus knew he would do. The last thing we hear about Peter until after the resurrection is in verse 72. After he's denied Jesus three times, it says he broke down and he wept. If you've ever all of a sudden had a realization of the depths of your own sin, maybe you've had a response like this before where you've realized, I have just done something horrible. I've done something that I said I would never do. And here I am doing it again, and again, and again. Can you relate to Peter? You have the the best intentions, but in crisis moments, under stress, when times are tough, intentions just aren't enough to overcome our sinful and selfish desires. Here's the good news, though. Jesus' faithfulness is never dependent on humanity's response. This is a theme that runs through all of scripture, all of human history, and it is still true today. Jesus is still faithful. He's faithful to forgive. He's faithful to restore. Jesus at one point said to Peter, hey, one day the church, the people of God are going to be built on you, on the ministry that you'll have. This same person that rejected Jesus, that denied Jesus, would be restored by Jesus. We'd be forgiven by Jesus. You know, whether big or little, all of us have experienced the unfaithfulness of humanity in our lives. We've seen it. We've seen broken vows in a marriage, broken trust in friendship, broken confidence in someone we looked up to. And some of you in this room have let the unfaithfulness of others keep you from knowing the faithfulness of God? Now others of you are saying, Andrew, I'm the one. <laughs> I'm the unfaithful one. It's not just about other people, but it's the same thing. Why would you, why would you let your unfaithfulness keep you from approaching the faithful one? First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful. Say it with me. Faithful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Peter wept over his sin and Jesus restored him. This is what Jesus wants for you today. He is not waiting for you to get your act together. If he was, what would he have needed to suffer and die for? If you could work your way out of your own sin, then we would have just been left to do that. Jesus never was waiting for people to get their act together. He paid the price. He met people where they're at. Somebody once said, if there was only one sinner on earth, that Jesus would have died for them. And I believe that. I believe that's true for you and me today. And so I want to end with this. I want to end with you, with this truth that you would know how devastating it is to let the unfaithfulness of others, even others that claim Christ, to keep you from knowing the faithfulness of Jesus. Don't do that. And don't fall into the trap that you in your current state Your unfaithfulness will keep you from knowing Jesus. Jesus wants to meet you where you're at. Isaiah 53, 5, I'll end with this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And so it is by his wounds that we are healed this is the truth of the faithful God that meets us in our unfaithfulness and he says here's a new covenant a new promise a new life will you receive it let's pray together this morning I can't let this moment go by I don't know what the Lord is speaking to you this morning But if you're ready to say yes to him, you've held him at arm's length for whatever reason, hurts, misconceptions, whatever it would be, today is the day to say yes to him, to say yes to the faithful one who died for you, who suffered for you, so that you could be free from the consequences of sin and death. And so if you're ready to say yes to Jesus today, to receive the gift of his new covenant, his new life, right where you're sitting, if you've never said yes to Jesus, I would just ask that you'd raise your hand just as a, mo- as a sign of wanting to follow Jesus. Yeah, I see that hand. God bless you, brother. God bless you, brother. Let me pray for you and for, the, for others in this room. Father, we thank you for our brother who just raised his hand. He just said, I'm ready made to know the faithful God, to be free from my sin and brokenness. Lord, I pray for him that this moment would be a significant moment in his life, a moment where he has received from you this gift of new life, a new start. Lord, that repentance would be a change of mind for him and a change of direction for his life. And for all of us, Lord God, as we wrestle with our own unfaithfulness, this remaining sin that, re- that stays in us, that you, by your Spirit, would empower us, Lord, to take step after step after you. Your word says that it is, uh, your, your truth is a light unto our path, a lamp to our feet, Lord God, one step at a time following you. So may we be a church that does that today, confessing our sin and receiving your faithful goodness.